Hello, everyone, and welcome back for our first Cathedral of Sport podcast of 2021, hosted by myself, Ash. No ball this evening. He's got a lot of uni work to catch up on again. How much uni work does that does that man actually have to do? It's unreal. Anyway, let's crack on with it. Um, got a real special guest on tonight. Um, I've got John Bailey on the show from the Saints FC podcast, the Southampton Football Club. John, welcome to the show, mate. How are you? How's life treating you lately? Uh, thank you very much, Ash. Ha- Happy New Year, seeing as this is your first one uh, of the year. Uh, yeah, life's treating me pretty well. Um, this time round in the lockdown, uh, I've managed to fit the category of being a key worker. So my child is in school, so that's a big result. I'm not having to try and homeschool and do endless Zoom meetings. So that's really good. And Saints have started off the year by beating the reigning champions Liverpool 1-0. So uh, from a football perspective, I'm also in a really good place. So, yeah, I can't complain. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I saw that result the other night. Great goal as well by Danny Ings, um, a very underrated striker. So it's been a happy new year as well to yourself. So cheers for that. Going to crack on with the show, John. Um, and as I do with every single guest, just uh, a bit of background about yourself. Uh, early life, I take it you grew up uh, in, a, in or around Southampton, um, a lot of most Southampton fans do come from that area, you know, there's not many outside of Hampshire, so to speak. So where did you grow up and uh, what was your first introduction to football? Uh, well, funny enough, I didn't actually grow up in Southampton. I grew up ah. um, in Bath, which is a lovely place. Um, but also spent a bit of time living in Belgium, then went back to Bath. Um, but actually, so I started getting into football um, when I was quite young and Bristol Rovers used to play in Bath and they played against Liverpool in the FA Cup, I think, in the early rounds 1992. And so I got really into football then. And then my granny said that, John, you, if you're into football, I've got something to show you. And then she got out this box and it had all these photographs of my great granddad and medals and newspaper cuttings and basically... Uh, he'd played for Southampton, um, also been manager of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, but, you know, my, my granny was a Southampton fan and sort of extolled the virtues of the club onto me at the time. And, and at the time as well, Southampton had Matthew Letizia. So there was sort of no question of, uh, over who I was going to support. Um, it should have probably have been Southampton or Wolves and Southampton seemed like the obvious one. So that's how I ended up supporting Southampton. But yeah, I grew up in Bath rather than rather than Southampton. Bath is a lovely, lovely city. I visited it many times when I lived in the West Country. I've lived in a lot of places around the UK um, due to the job I had at the time. So I, I used to live in Western Supermare and Bridgewater and stay out in them sort of places in Somerset. And I used to b- visit Bath all the time. Lovely city, lovely place, nice and clean. Um, one of my favourite drinking venues as well. It's got a good circuit around there, put it that way. Um, what, was your, what was your granddad called, John? Uh, he was called Albert Hoskins or Bert Hoskins. But if you if you Google him, you can find him. Um, yeah, I think I've heard of him before. Do you know that? Really? Is it? Yeah, yeah, I think I have. That. <laughs> I think I have. Um, the name definitely rings a bell. Definitely, definitely rings a bell. Um, obviously, way before my time, but I've I've heard of that name pop, that's popped up somewhere before. I can't think of where. But um, So you started supporting Southampton for your granny and, and uh, the connection through your, your granddad. Matt Letizia then was your, your favourite player early on, as you said. Was there anyone else in the squad um, uh, that, that you idolised as a kid? 
Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, Matt Letizia was insane. What he could do with a, a football was was just mad. And um, you know, there's there's enough people that will extol the virtues of Matthew Letizia in terms of football. I mean, he used to make the sort of goal of the month competition was almost a little bit of a competition with himself. I remember like watching match of the day. Um, but also the other player that I was uh, really excited by when I was really young was Jason Dodd. And the reason for that is he is also from Bath and he played for Bath City and then went straight from Bath City to, to Southampton. So that seemed, you know, that, that almost seemed like a plausible route for me. I was like, yeah, boy from Bath grows up, goes straight to Southampton from Bath City. Why not? Obviously, Jason Dodd is a, a bit of a rarity. Um, but yeah, so that those were the two that I was looking out for. But Saints have had so many good players in the time that I've been been watching them. Um, probably my favourite player. Well, there's there's a few, but you know, a couple of real favourites ever. Um, Ricky Lambert was just incredible for Saints. Joined us in League One. Um, top scorer every season gets us promoted. You know, from League One to the Championship, Championship to the Premier League, and was brilliant in the Premier League as well. And I think when he scored his goal for England on his debut, Saints fans probably celebrated that as much as any Saints goal. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you grew up in the same era as me, the 90s. Um, Matt Letizia, as you said, was a, a firm feature on my TV of a Saturday night as well. I remember players like Francis Benali and Ken Moncal, playing for Jim McGilton as well, I remember... Also, I remember a certain Mr. Alan Shearer turning out for Southampton once upon a time um, before he went to Blackburn and won the Premier League. So, yeah, you've had some great players over the years. So, as a fan, what was your first ever game uh, that, you, first, that you attended? Sorry. The, yeah, so, so, I mean, the first ever football game I attended was a Bristol Rovers match against Tranmere Rovers, and it was dreadful. Um, Bristol Rovers won 1-0. The game was dreadful, but I absolutely loved it. Um, and, you know, it's been hooked on football ever since. But the first Saints game I saw um, was actually Southampton versus Liverpool in, at Anfield. So with the whole family went up to Liverpool to watch this game. And Ian Rush and Robbie Fowler scored for Liverpool. And Matt Letizia scored, I think, both the goals for Southampton, including this absolute sublime one where... He kind of chipped the ball over Mark Wright, who was an England defender at the time, and just kind of like slotted it past, well, it was probably Bruce Grobler at the time, thinking back. And it was just, it was astonishing. And also the weird thing about that is he did that right in front of the cop and the, the fans and the cop applauded mm. Matt Letizia scoring this goal against Liverpool, which is something I just, you just never see that. You'd never see opposition fans applauding a goal from the other team but it was it was sort of that sublime and I think you know Saints lost the game 4-2 but in terms of a game to go and watch like first Premier League game that that I or my brother had seen it was just amazing six goals some of them were just brilliant and some amazing players on the pitch as well so that's the one which really really stands out in in my memory um, actually the second Saints game I saw was Southampton versus Arsenal and I think Kevin Campbell scored a hat-trick against us. And that was 4-0 to Arsenal. So the first two times I watched Southampton, they conceded four goals. And somehow I still ended up supporting them. Um, but yeah, it's been worth it in the long run. But, I, you know, that should have been a fairly auspicious start. And that, that should have been an early warning for what I could expect to come from being a, a Saints fan. At least, at least you picked them, though. At least, you know, you, 
picking a team that will take you on a roller coaster like that. It's too easy to support your Man Uniteds, your Liverpools, your Celtics, your Paris Saint-Germains and all that. You know, and what a ground to tick off as well for your first ever um, Southampton experience, being Anfield. That's one ground I've never ticked off. Do you know that? I've never been there. Um, what an atmosphere that would have been, uh, going to that and going to it and, and witnessing your team there. Um, what, what, talking on the theme of the, or staying on the theme of uh, away games, what's your greatest experience of an away day following Southampton? It could be it could be from the past. It could be from recent memory. It could you know. Oh, it's it's so hard to kind of like choose a favourite because they're they're all just so many of them are just so so much fun. Um, yeah, you know, especially when you when you're older and you can drink and it's a bit of an adventure game with with your mates and stuff. Um, oh, there's there, there's so many to choose from. I mean, one of the the ones I'll say, I'll say this one just because it's quite a funny story. Um, but I think it was a League Cup match and it was away to Millwall. And I went with a friend, I was living in Southampton at the time, so um, and I, I went up on the train with a mate and we sort of started drinking on the way up, got to London Bridge, drank quite a lot more, then got on the train to the uh, to the new den. And I'd never been to away to Millwall before. And then obviously you come out and you know you've got the reputation that Millwall fans have. And then you're sort of chaperoned off into this sort of cage for away fans and walk down this caged walkway surrounded by police. And Saints won 4-0. We were just absolutely brilliant that day. Millwall were hopeless. And I just remember sort of like drunkenly chanting, you're not scary anymore to the Millwall fans, which probably a stupid thing to do. But, you know, when you're kind of fired up on booze, it felt like, the right thing to do and then us just kind of being pelted by abuse and coins and stones and stuff whilst we were waiting for the train out um but we we felt invincible because we just won four nil and there were loads of saints fans there because saints were doing really well mill were doing really badly and um it felt quite bolshy so that, that's one which sort of sticks out in the memory um but the away matches i love it's just, it, it's always more fun away for some reason oh definitely um Fair play to you for having the balls to do that at Millwall as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one on top places, the new den. And yeah, I've been there. I've been there quite a few times myself. And yeah, and, and I know, uh, know quite a few people that live around that area as well. They're all, it's all the same type of people. It's, uh, I'm just laughing, thinking about it. And some of the guys I used to drink with that's Millwall fans. Um, but, you know, as you said about the away days as well, that like I say, it's on all the podcasts pretty much I do. It's, it is all about the away days. You know, you, it's it's the free bees, isn't it? It's the breakfast breakfast bookies and booze. Um, it's just it's it's a, it's a start of your day, and then wherever you go in the country or wherever you travel to, you know, you just make a day. That's where all the stories come from. You know, most people haven't got stories from home games. It's like, oh yeah, left me house, went to the same pub we go to every home game, onto the game, and. And back home for tea, you know. But away days is where that's where all the stories and all the bonds are formed between people you meet on the train, and you know, you know, the, the good characters go go away regularly. That's what I say anyway. Um, I'm going to touch on something a bit more not not controversial, really, but I'm going to ask you about it now. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Portsmouth, right, and the and the rivalry there. Okay. I live in Scot. I live in Scotland, and obviously, you know, a lot of people here see the Man United Liverpool rivalry or Arsenal Tottenham and things like that. 
Um, it's a very underrated rivalry. It's Portsmouth and Southampton. I say it's one of the one of the most heated rivalries in the UK, without a shadow of a doubt. John, would you would you class Pompey as a big club, as, as much as they say they are? Well, I mean, they, they they might be a big club, but then what does that make Southampton a, a behemoth, a, a huge giant of the South Coast? Because we're clearly a bigger club than Portsmouth, no, no matter what they say. Um, and you're right. You know what it is? It's an underrated rivalry, and it's a really, really good derby, and it's ferocious um, and brilliant fun. And you know, I've been to a few derbies. So I used to kind of—I told you—I grew up in Bath in the West Country. So I've seen the Bristol derby before. That's another really good one, very ferocious, good fun. I've also yeah. seen Brazil versus Argentina in Brazil, which is another good derby, great fun, fantastic atmosphere. But it's, it, it's Saints Pompey for me out of the ones I've been to, um, and I thought the best man for my wedding. He's not really a big football fan. Um, and I can't remember why or how. It must have been visiting me or staying with me. And it was Saints Pompey. And obviously I had a ticket. Um, and I was like, look, look, just come along. We'll get you a ticket, um, which, we, which we did manage to do. Uh, but whilst we were walking to the game, we we're kind of like walking through the, the main park in Southampton, sort of heading towards the stadium. And we were going to he- head to a couple of pubs along the way. And the Portsmouth fans were having their... Uh, they're being chaperoned by the police from the station towards uh, St Mary's Stadium. So, kind of along the other side of the park, walking down the road, we could see like hundreds of Portsmouth fans. The police cordoned off the the the, the mounted police as well on the horses and everything. At which point, about thirty Portsmouth fans broke from the ranks and just started running away from the police. And they've been chased by the policemen on horses, and they weren't like aiming for us, but the direction which they're running was heading straight for us. So there's me, my best mate, who was the best man at my wedding. He doesn't doesn't really go in for football and definitely isn't a sort of like um, a, a lad about town, shall we say. And um, we suddenly got 30 Portsmouth fans heading straight for us, along with about 20 police on horses chasing them down. Um, we managed to take cover in a local pub, which which was fortunate, and stayed for a drink there. But it, it was there was a few moments where I just thought, oh, my God, we're going to be trampled to death by 30 Portsmouth fans and followed by the police. Um, and there was, there was us two legging it across the park. It would have been a really funny sight for anyone who just happened to be sitting in the park having their sounds at that time. <laughs> That's a really good story, actually. Yeah. Would have been scary, yes, yeah, 30 blokes charging towards you. Yeah, especially Pompey anyway. Jesus. What now... There's, there's a lot of conflicting information, John, about this rivalry because it, it, apparently it's to do with like one city taking the ship work away from another city and all this sort of stuff and a, a, a political stuff as well. What's your take on it? I mean, I've, I've heard so many different stories and, and reasons why Portsmouth hate Southampton and Southampton hate Portsmouth. And, and you know, what, what, what you know, you, you're you're a guy in the know, obviously, as you do the you do that you do your podcast and that. What what would you say about that? Well, there, um, there's a common phrase amongst Southampton fans, and there's actually a hashtag on Twitter. If you look up Ports Myths, <laughs> the, um, uh, which which is a phrase to describe the nonsense that uh, Portsmouth supporters come up with to describe their rivalry, and it's it's a total nonsense. So the, the story goes that in the 1970s, the um, uh, Southampton Dockers broke um, a strike 
and went and worked in um, in the Portsmouth docks when the Portsmouth dockers were on strike. But if, if you look up the history, there, there's no history of Portsmouth dockers going on strike around that time at all. So it's completely made up. And the other thing um, about this story uh, is that obviously the Portsmouth dock is a naval dock and the Southampton dock is a commercial dock. And the Southampton dockers would go on strike much more regularly than than the naval ones because naval dockers well naval workers are not allowed to go on strike at all they, they just can't it's not not allowed within their sort of contracts of working for the navy so um yeah there's, there's just there's no truth in that um and then i think there's so obviously the poor pompey fans call us the scum or scummers and that they've said that that stands for southampton city union member but it's all total nonsense um but yeah if you want to look into it a bit further look up portsmouths and you can read into the to the history of it, but it's just something that was made up in you know um, something made up I think in the seventies, which sort of um, grew and grew in the eighties and nineties. But it's been debunked many times with with real history and facts. But yeah, a funny one. I mean, the the, the two cities are big rivals, and the football teams are really big rivals, um, and it is mainly good fun. But um, you know, the 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 people from Portsmouth, yeah, they're, they're slightly sort of I don't know. Um, Slightly more Neanderthals than than the Southampton. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Southampton. Yeah, I've no, kind of noticed. I watched some Copper ninety documentary on that um, last year, which was absolutely fantastic. By the way, uh, about the right. Uh, that's why I asked you because there was so many different ones on there talking about the rivalry and stuff and saying different things. But the hatred. I know obviously Southampton fans hate Portsmouth, but the, the, the hatred seems to be a lot more directed from the from the Portsmouth side towards Southampton, if, if you, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if it's a, if it's a small Island mentality that they've got, I, I don't know what it is. Um, I think it is, but I, I don't know if it's, if there's some sort of underlying jealousy towards um, people from Southampton or the city itself. Um, but Hey, you know, I, 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 <laughs> you know, I'd have to speak to a Pompey fan one day. I'd have to get a Portsmouth fan on it and let him have their say. So, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, if you need to do that, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you off how many myths. <laughs> so, yeah. so come to show. No, I'm only joking. Any Portsmouth fans that listen to this, um, I doubt they would, to be fair. <laughs> 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 um, we'll get away from them now. We get away from them. Southampton are doing well again. Gone are the days when you're in, when you're in League One um, in the third division, which is a crying shame for English football. A club like Southampton should have never have been there, like Leeds, like Sheffield Wednesday, like like Sunderland as well. Um, but but it happens. It is what it is. Football, football goes full circle, so to speak. So you've got a great manager in now, um, and things have changed, haven't they? Since that, not going to repeat the score, but that hammer in at home by Leicester last season. Um, what has changed? Um, it's, I mean, it's been a really interesting journey because the hammering at home to Leicester was a bit of a wake-up call. And, um, you know, Ralph Hasenhutel, our manager, was really well-rated when he came to Southampton. Obviously, he came mid-season um, and was picking up the pieces after a run of some pretty poor managers, culminating in it being Mark Hughes and I think one win in 14 games when he came in. So we're, you know, really up the creek without a paddle. And we improved a lot in his kind of half a season in charge. And, and I think most Saints fans thought we would kick on last season. And when we started the season, um, Ralph kind of went away from his usual 
tactics, which is this 4-2-2-2 formation, which is a bit like a, a narrow 4-4-2, basically. Um, and he was playing five at the back, uh, you know, with three centre-backs and two wing-backs. And, and it, it wasn't really the style of play that he wanted to play. And the reason for that is he didn't really trust his defenders. Um, and then that kind of culminated in the 9-0, which was just absolutely shocking. And it was a game where everything went wrong. Ryan Bertram got sent off after about 10 minutes. Um, and Leicester just kept on doing the same thing over and over again. And we just couldn't cope with it. And it was, it was incredibly traumatic. But then uh, I think we conceded something like 25 chances that game, of which they put nine of them away. The next game... Um, next home game was against Everton. So we played Man City away twice, which you, know, you wouldn't really expect to get anything from anyway. Um, we conceded 25 chances to Everton as well at home. So it's a real disaster. And then we had you know, the Everton only won 2-1 in, in that game. But then we had the international break. Um, and I think that's sort of when Ralph hit the reset button. He, he went back to what had worked for him uh, when he was at Red Bull Leipzig and, Lingo, uh, and Ingolstadt in the, the Bundesliga before. And we came back and we, our first game, I think, was away at Arsenal at the Emirates. Another great, good fun for the, for the away game. And we drew two all. But we were just absolutely fantastic. We played the 4-2-2-2 formation. We pressed really well. And I think from then on in, the manager has believed in his own system more and tried to be less pragmatic and working with the squad that he's got, but actually just getting the players and improving the players to work with his system. And it, it's really incredible what he's done. I mean, James Ward-Prowse was sort of a fringe player when he arrived. And I think now he's going to be in a shout for going to Euro 2021 with England, if he can. Um, he scores free kicks for fun. Um, he's also, you know, he looks, you know, double-barreled uh, surname, side-parting, looks a bit RAF and, you know, like a jolly good chap. Uh, but actually, <laughs> a bit of nastiness to him now as well. You know, he'll put in tackles and he's, he's become a master of the dark arts. And then Danny Ings has just been absolutely sensational. I, I don't think any of us quite realised how good Danny Ings is. He is the best player Saints have had up front for a very very long time and we've had some really good players and we, I was asking a question of um, my co-host on, on our Saints podcast in our last episode which we recorded earlier this week about we've obviously had Sadio Mane at Saints before and we've now got Danny Ings it's like well which one would you actually prefer and I think most Saints fans would prefer to have Danny Ings um, right now and that's no slight on Sadio Mane. Saints fans know exactly how good Sadio Mane is. He's one of the best strikers in the world. But Danny Ings is that good. Um, and he's the sort of perfect front man for Ralph's style of football. And, and he leads the press as well. So when Danny Ings isn't playing, not only are we weaker up front, but we're also weaker in midfield and we're weaker in defence because we don't press in the same way. And he's a real leader of the way that we play football, Danny Ings. So... I think Ralph and Ings and there and James Will Prowse are all on this sort of similar trajectory. And then with some of our players like Vestergaard um, and Romeo, they, they're kind of, we thought they were quite limited football players and what they could do. And this season, they've just been brilliant. So Ralph is able to coach players to become better than, than, than what we as Saints fans thought was possible, really. And, and that's, that's what's going right at the moment. Um, and to be sixth in the league, four points off the top in January is just, it's the stuff that dreams are made of, Ash. It's, it's amazing, you know? Yeah. 
and and you know i do remember going like away to colchester united and not even being able to see the other side of the pitch in the fog whilst we're in league one and to think now we're beating the reigning champions and arguably one of the best sides in the whole of europe um you know and 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 doing really well and competing at that level it's amazing yeah definitely um touching back on a couple of a couple of players you mentioned there james ward prowse i went on i went on a podcast called the pots cast and i was asked uh who the breakout star would be this season. I know he's been around for a while, but who you my, uh, my sort of dark horse footballer would would be this season um, that would get so many plaudits. And I actually picked James Ward-Prowse. Um, uh, Danny Ings as well is another player who, given a chance at the right club, just bangs them in for fun. Look what he was like at Burnley. Goes to Liverpool, hardly used. If you, if you don't use the man, he's not going to score. It's as simple as that, right? So then he goes to Southampton, slots in um local boy as well i think he grew up in dorset i think danny ings somewhere around that area winchester or something like around that area local boy in you know to the area so you know it's, it's obviously worked for him there you've got theo walcott back now as well haven't you yeah i'll tell you what that's been a real really pleasant surprise is how well theo has fit in um i you know, Saints normally buy young players. They don't normally get sort of older established players. And Theo Walcott, he's in his 30s now. Um, you know, I wouldn't say being in your 30s is particularly old myself. Um, <laughs> but he is, he's slotted in really well. And I think the fact that he can play kind of anywhere across our front four positions, whether that's leading, you know, right in the centre or on the left or on the right, um, has really helped. And he works really hard. And, um, He's, he clearly does what he's told. His ego, he, he doesn't have the ego of a football player that, that you know, of his stature could have. And he's, he works really hard for the team. And he seems to be absolutely delighted to be back at Southampton. Um, he's obviously got a really big place for Southampton in his heart. And he's playing with a smile on his face and he's making us fans smile. And, you know, I'm, I'm just gutted that I haven't been able to see this great Saints team and Theo Walcott and actually stand there and chant and show them how, how much we appreciate what they're doing at the moment because it, it's been brilliant to watch. Yeah, it's a real shame that you, you can't be there to witness it. Um, I think what maybe this is much from my perspective anyway, the pressure's off there at Walcott um, with, with Walcott because you go to a place like Arsenal and you've got their fans uh, you know, very demanding, huge. You just have to see Arsenal fan TV to, to see what they're like. <laughs> um, they're very demanding, always on your back. The media focus on teams like Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, etc., more than they do with teams like Southampton. So that you're always thrust in the spotlight of those clubs. And in it, with Everton as well. They're one of the big uh, big clubs in the Northwest. You know, um, historically a massive club. So maybe he's playing with a smile on his face because, you know, there's no disrespect to you guys, uh, a bit of a smaller club. And he can enjoy himself without so much pressure on his back from overly demanding football fans. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you Southampton fans aren't overly demanding. No, well, you know, St Mary's is a funny place. It, we can get a bit antsy. And um, I, I actually think probably in some ways the break and making us all go home and watch the team play without us getting on their backs has been quite a good thing because we've seen them play well and we can now see that they like to start attacks from the back. And if the, you know if it's, something's not working out, they will play it all the way back to the keeper or to centre-backs so then re- restart it again. 
if they did that at St Mary's, you know, a year ago, the fans would get frustrated and start yeah. sort of grumbling at the players. So um, it'd be interesting, you know, when we get 30 or 1,000 people back in there to see if we've learnt our lessons and if we can trust the players to, to go and play how they've been told to by Ralph, which I think we should be able to now. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it is a funny thing without the fans, but now I'm absolutely desperate to be back in there. You know, the team are playing so well and I just want to back them and show them how much, how much I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I see what you mean about the pressure being off and I think, that, you know, the pressure probably is off for, for Walcott. I don't think loads is expected of him from sort of outside pressure and he can get on with it and he can you know let his football do the talking um and you know it was it was a weird it must have been a weird experience for him because he was 16 years old when he started playing for Southampton and got selected for that England World Cup squad and it was just a complete circus around him so now he's probably been left alone a little bit more and can be himself a little bit more yeah um spot on and that's same same things happening with Jack Grealish of Villa now. Now he's coming into the spotlight and the media are on his case constantly and flashing cameras in his face, you know. But by the time he gets to Fio Walcott's age or in the mid thirties or so, then you know that pressure's off and he can enjoy enjoy his football again. I hear a lot of footballers say that, you know, when they're when they're meant to be past their primes, they actually enjoy their football more because they're not, you know, the flavour of the month anymore and the, and the media's not on their case anymore. So Probably, probably the same what's happening with Theo Walker. Um, John, you, as you, as we mentioned Michelle, earlier on in the show, you've got your, you've got your own podcast. Um, if you can just tell our listeners where to find you, obviously it's about Southampton, but just go into a little bit more, or elaborate a bit more about what is, what it's about and what kind of content that you put on there. Yeah, well, um, well, very easy. Just Google Saints FC podcast or search Saints FC podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Anchor whatever we're, we're there um i guess kind of like when, when we started out um there were no saints podcasts actually that's a little bit of like when we planned to start out there were no saints podcasts and then um there's another guy who lives in california really lovely guy I met him and he actually came over for a game not too long ago and he set up a podcast about a week before uh me and tom who is my co-host sort of set ours up and I suppose when we started off, we interviewed lots of ex-players and probably went through some of our heroes from the 90s. So we had like Jason Dodd on our first episode. Um, we've spoken to Matt Letizier before. Uh, we had James Beattie recently. Um, and so there was a bit of interviewing ex-players. But actually what, what it's become is less focused on the, the ex-players and more just a sort of weekly or you know, every two weeks, depending on how frequently we're, we're playing. We review the games and go through it. We've had lots of football journalists on as well, people that are covering Southampton regularly and um, you know, people that sort of football journalists that do more unusual things in the world of football. So we pick, um, we've had like Michael Cox on, who's written books about tactics um, we've had Duncan Alexander on, who uh, works for Opta, so really good on the stats. Um, Carl Anker, who's a fantastic a young journalist. He's covering Man United now, but he was covering Southampton last season. So getting some really interesting, in-the-know uh, sort of people on there to, to help me and Tom out. Um, but Tom and I, we're, we're just fans. We just chat about it. And really, it's an excuse for me and Tom to sit down once a week and chat about football and Saints for an hour over a beer. Um, and then it's 
turned into this sort of monster where you know thousands of people listen to me and Tom doing that which sort of blows my mind but but when I meet people who listen to it they are they're kind of like they say you know they feel like they know me and Tom and they feel like they want to have a beer with us in the pub and and that's sort of I suppose the vibe that we're going for it's like a chance to catch up with your mates who support Southampton in the pub and interesting we get lots of people who listen from overseas as well from America Australia um, New Zealand lots of expats and i think they're people that miss that experience um and listening to the podcast a bit of a chance for them to sort of connect with with the southampton fan base again but yeah it sort of blew my mind really how many people listen to it if i look at our numbers and think if i was standing up and speaking to you know 1500 people in front of me i'd be absolutely terrified ash um but somehow on the podcast it all all feels sort of normal Uh, exactly the same as me um (laughs) I couldn't think of anything worse than doing a speech or a lecture or anything like that in front of people, you know, but, you know, sort of release my, uh, my inner uh, conversation when it comes to the podcast, as I'm relaxed in my own home on my sofa, you know, talking to you, talking to people like yourself. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot now, mate, for your, for your last question. Really, I'm going to put you on the spot. All time. Southampton 11. Ah. Ah, well, yeah. A- any formation you want. Any formation you want. It doesn't have any to be a 4-4-2. Four, four, yeah, I'll write right. it down as we go. I mean, this is properly on the spot. You know, I'm sort of kind of grabbing an envelope and a piece of paper here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to throw this one out. And I've, I, I would say that any of my listeners that are listening to this, Obviously, if I had a little bit longer to think about it, I'd refine this. But, um, right, goalkeeper. We'll start with a goalie. Um, I think we'll have Anthony Niemi. Great choice. Yeah, really good. Um, right back is going to be Jason Dodd because of the Bath connection and being an, an early hero. Um, the two centre-backs I'm going to go for... Um, one is going to be a chap called Michael Svensson. Ginger, Swedish, had a nickname of Killer. <laughs> Once won me uh, a 50 to 1 bet by scoring the first goal in the FA Cup game against Tottenham. So he gets in for that. Partnering Killer is going to be uh, Virgil van Dijk. He is one of the best players we've had at Southampton in the time that I've been going regularly. Yeah. Um, really wonderful player. Again, not just a central defender. Uh, he's, some, he's someone that can do everything. And when we beat Inter Milan at St Mary's in the Europa League, it was all about him. So he, he gets in for that. Um, left back is an interesting one because obviously when Gareth Bale played for Southampton, he was a left back, not a left winger or a forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got Wayne Bridge and Francis Benali. Oh. Yeah. I think it's going to be Francis Benali, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then, gosh. Uh, well, Chris Marsden's going to be in the midfield. Um, and he might not be a player that you'd necessarily think of. And he's going to be, obviously, in, also in the centre of midfield is going to be Matthew Letizia. Of course. Marsden and Letiz. And... Oh, this is where things start to get really, really difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. 
let's um oh I, I'm gonna cheat a bit and I'm gonna have Marion Pahas out on the right wing. Oh, I forgot, I forgot about Marion Pahas, yeah. Yeah. Um Adam Lalana on the left. And we're gonna have Ricky Lambert up the top. And why not bring one of the current players in and put Danny Ings in there with him? So I've got a four-four-two formation here. Um, Anthony Amy in goal at right back. Jason Dodds, two centre, two centre halves. Michael Svensson and Virgil Van Dijk. Left back Francis Benali. Right wing Marion Pahas. Left wing Adam Lallana. Two in the middle. Latis obviously, um, and Chris Marsden. And your two front men are Ricky Lambert and Danny Ings. Southampton fans listening to this, tweet me in at Cathedral underscore Sport, right? And uh, who would you who would you have in yours? Who would you would you change any of that? Would you agree with that? You know, so. But yeah, I, th- I think is, if we were going to be realistic about it, Ash, I think I'd need to swap Chris Marsden out for a centre for a defensive midfielder. There needs to be a destroyer in there. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm going to stick with that because I want. I, I'm just going to go for that all-out attacking front <laughs> front six. But yeah, we might. You know, we'd probably get, go for an early lead and then bring on Victor Wanyama or Morgan Schneidlin as our subs to defend that lead for, for the second half. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, good choices there as well. Um, obviously, I'm not a Southampton fan, but I recognise all those names. And Francis Benali is an absolute staple, isn't it? And so, obviously, and then Letizia as well. You can't, you can't ever... Letizia would probably be in my all-time football eleven, let alone just a Southampton one. Um, no, but cheers for that. As I said before, Southampton fans, tweet me in and... If you, want to, if you think you can change any of that or you agree with all of that, just let me know. Um, John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. It really has. A really interesting. Um, can hear the passion in your voice for your team as well. I always love that when people like that come on and don't give me one-word answers and just you know just talk away and and go off on one and elaborate on stuff. So thanks very much, mate. You've been you've been absolutely superb. Yeah, you're, you're welcome, Ash. I can see a one-word answer wouldn't be particularly great for a podcast, so I'm glad I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you, Ash, um, any time. Yeah, not a problem at all, mate. Not a problem at all. Um, stay safe as well. Guys, we're on all the platforms. We're on Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Coming up on the show, we've got undefeated flyweight boxer Joe Mafosa from Middlesbrough. He'll be on next week. Along And as well, we've got fan guests next week as well. Crystal Palace is Mark Guyford and staying on the Crystal Palace theme managed to bag a massive guest on the show for the end of the month you all we have got ex-Premier League manager with Crystal Palace Alan Smith will be on the show to talk about his very long career in football for managing in non-league all the way to the Premier League and his career after that so it's all going on folks John again thank you so much for coming on mate cheers Ash cheers guys Thank you.